Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Uh, Philippians 4.13 is what he usually used. But on this one day, he painted John 3.16 under his eyes. The only time ever. Now, this is a story I remember. Exactly three years later to the day, January 8, 2012, Tim Tebow was now playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos. I apologize for any of you who uh, have to be Denver fans and don't root for the Eagles, but <laughs> sorry, Steve. But anyway, he's quarterback for the, actually, I'm a Denver fan too, quarterback for the Denver Broncos, and he is quarterbacking his team January 2012 in the first playoff game that they have played in six years. The game ends with a tie against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Broncos, quarterbacked by Tebow, on the very first play in overtime, and this is what I remember watching the game, the very first play from overtime, Tim Tebow threw an 80-yard, threw a pass, 80-yard touchdown pass to, anybody remember to whom? Demarius Thomas. The, the NFL still considers this to be one of the best game-winning touchdown plays in history. First play from over in overtime, he throws this pass, Denver scores a touchdown, and they have this miraculous upset win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, here's the thing. After the game, this is the story. After that game, a reporter walks up to Tim Tebow, and he says, hey, Timmy, do you know what just happened? It is exactly three years to the day when you won the national championship with John 3.16 under your eyes. And tonight, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per carry were 3.16. Your yards per completion were 31.6. The time of possession for your team was 31 minutes, 6 seconds. The TV ratings for our game at the end of the game were 31.6. And tonight, 90 million people are now searching John 3.16. It is the number one trending story on social media right now. Now, for those of you who are curious, I actually fact-checked all those numbers, and they're true. I have no idea what it means. But here's what blows me away. 90 million people went searching for John 3.16. 90 million people. Now, let's just be cynics for a minute. And let's imagine that of those 90 million people, let's imagine that 90% of them had no interest whatsoever in the Bible. Maybe they were all named John, and they thought, well, this is some kind of secret code for guys named John. Or maybe there were people who were thinking, Tim Tebow's just doing an ad for a brand new gym. Or maybe they're thinking that it's something else, they find it's from the Bible, and they go right back to the football game. Let's imagine that 90% of those people had no interest whatsoever in what the Bible had to say. That still leaves 10%. Nine 
million people who were looking for something real in John 3.16. And to be honest with you, I am not surprised at all. Because I think long before COVID and long before murder hornets and long before Brexit and long before the murder of George Floyd and long before locust plagues in Kenya and long before devastating riots all around our world and long before empty store shelves just about everywhere and long before the toppling of statues and long before the postponing of the whole world, long before 2020, I think people were already looking for hope and wondering if God has any to offer. I think it is no surprise that millions of people went looking and wondering if there's a God, does he have any hope for me and for our world? I think I am not surprised at all that people went looking for God and wondering, does he have anything to offer me? So I want to read to you what those people found when they went looking for John chapter 3.16. I'm going to read the conversation, the real story in which that verse is found in John chapter 3. It's in verses... Uh, 1 to 21, in a conversation, and I'm going to invite you to read along with me. We'll put the verses on the screen. For those of you who are at home or plugged in here, um, if you're looking at a Bible and you want, want to keep it open when we're done reading, so I can show you some things that are interesting. This is what it says, John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader, and he was also a Pharisee. Now, after dark one evening, Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, well, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, well, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So you shouldn't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, and just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. But how are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you wouldn't believe our testimony. 
But if you don't believe me when I talk about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Look, no one has ever gone into heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses once lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they are doing, what God wants. Now, before I actually get to the real theme I want to talk about, I want to give you what I think of as a little bit of historical detail that I hope will help you to understand this and maybe even enjoy a little bit more, uh, make it a little bit more interesting. The author of the book I read for you, a book called The Gospel of John, um, the author is a man named John who um, was one of the disciples of Jesus. Therefore, he's an eyewitness of everything that he writes about. And he also was likely probably the one or two closest friends that Jesus ever had. And John wrote this gospel in order to convince people to believe in Jesus. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means later, to talk about what it means to believe in Jesus. But that's what he wrote. So the bottom line is, uh, when John wrote this book, he has one goal. He wants to convert people. He wants to convert you and me. And John is not, a, uh, he doesn't hide this. Um, John is not engaged in any kind of a bait and switch. When John gets to the end of his book, he is completely upfront about his purpose. In the second to the last chapter of this book, John says, I am writing these things so that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you might have life by the power of his name. So there is no bait and switch for John. There's no hidden agenda. John is completely out there with what he hopes to do. John wants to convert you. He wants to convert every single reader. He wants you to believe. And so do I. So do I. Now, one way that John does this, one way that John attempts to convert you, is by letting us kind of listen in 
on several conversations that Jesus has with all kinds of different people. This conversation is with a guy named Nicodemus. But if you, all you got to do is just start flipping through the book of John and you'll discover that chapter after chapter, John is just letting us listen in to one conversation after another that people have with Jesus. We're in chapter three. If you flip the page and go to John chapter four, you'll read a conversation, a rather long one, that Jesus has with an unnamed Samaritan woman. And then he has a conversation with a government official. Flip the page and he has a conversation with a crippled man. Flip the page. He has a conversation with a woman who gets caught in a sex scandal, a very ugly sex scandal. Flip the page. He has a conversation with a father whose son is dying. And all through the book, for the first 12 chapters, that's what John is doing. He's letting us listen in on conversations that people are having with Jesus. And these are all kinds of people. These are educated people like Nicodemus. These are illiterate people. These are men and these are women. These are Jews. These are Gentiles. These are religious people. These are religious people. These are young people. These are old people. These are poor people. These are rich people. All kinds of people. And John lets us kind of listen in. And if you think about it, what John is doing is he's kind of saying, let's just listen in on uh, a cross-section of just about every kind of person that you will run across in this world. And let's listen to how Jesus talks to these people. Which is why when you get to that verse 316, which is kind of a summary verse for John, that's why John wrote, for God so loved the world. It's John's way of saying, you know, that God has this passionate focus on every person in the world. There is not a single person who is outside of God's concern. Now, we probably all know that factually, but here's my guess. There's a ton of people that you think, well, it would never work for him. We were watching, did anybody else this past Easter watch, um, Don and I watched NBC's uh, live version of Jesus Christ Superstar? that was broadcast. Um, uh, uh, in, back in 2018, NBC did a live uh, version of Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, starring John Legend as Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the original, um, and, and most of the people here are. They won't admit it, but they, but they are. And I absolutely loved Jesus Christ Superstar. Anybody else love the music? Um, I loved it. Now, back in the day, just because we were all religious uptighties, we weren't supposed to like it, but I loved it. I loved Jesus Christ Superstar, the music. So this year, when NBC on Easter they replayed that. We watched it. And for those of you who are watching, you might remember the moment when Herod walks out on stage. Do you remember who played Herod? Alice Cooper. Now, here's the deal. Alice Cooper walked out on stage, and I said to Donna, do you know he's a Christian? And Donna said, no way. And I said, of course, way. And then I went on to explain. I said, yeah, it's true. It's true. It really is. A couple years ago, and he is very open about this, a couple years ago, Alice Cooper admits that he had gone off the deep end in drugs and alcohol and addictions and women, and he said, it almost killed me. I was near death. And then he said, my life was saved by Jesus Christ. And his wife has followed him into the faith, and the two are very devout. He actually teaches a Sunday school class in his church. 
Can you imagine, those of us who grew up in the 70s listening to Alice Cooper, can you imagine going to Alice Cooper Sunday school class? But it is true, and he's devout, and he's been saved. And I was looking at this last night. I was looking for a picture, and when I Googled his name about his faith, the, uh, an article came up about all kinds of rock stars who've come to Christ. And here's another one, a guy named Brian Welch often called Brian Head Welch. He's, the, he's a fantastic guitarist. For, he's back with, now I think he's back with a, a band named Korn. Similar story. His life got royally messed up in the typical rock star way of getting your life messed up with cocaine and meth and alcohol and wild parties every night and rolling in way too much money. His marriage fell apart. Because his wife was in the same condition, he managed to get custody of his daughter and he realized that for his daughter's sake, he had to get his life straightened out, but he didn't know how and he couldn't do it. And he tells the story of by accident, one day he found himself sitting in the back row of a church and Jesus Christ saved his life. And he is very devout now, very open about his faith. He has given away a ton of money to the poor and to reach kids and to give other human beings hope in Jesus Christ. And if you have ever looked at a single human being, if you have ever looked at a single human being, or maybe you think this is true of you, and you think, well, it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me, or it will never work for that person, and you have not been paying attention. For God so loved the world. No one is too far away. No one is too far gone. There is not a single human being who is outside of God's circle of interest. And so John, who is up front about the fact that he wants to convert you and he wants to convert me, and so do I, John lets us listen in on conversations. And John says, I'm going to let you listen because I want you to believe. And he lets us listen to a cross-section of people, all kinds of people that you might meet in this world today. And the conversation we're listening in on now is a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, who frankly has a very long, very impressive religious pedigree. He is, John tells us, he's a religious leader in the Jews. He's a Pharisee, John says, which is, a, it's a lay movement. It's a volunteer movement of people who said, you know what? I want to live out my faith seriously. That's what the Pharisees were. He's a rabbi, we discover in this story. In other words, he's a teacher of the faith. All of which makes you think, if you look at Nicodemus's religious pedigree, you would think that he would be the one who was teaching people about God, but he is not. It's Jesus who is teaching him. And the reason Jesus is teaching him is in a hint. John says this, that he came to see Jesus in the dark at night. That is not a throwaway line. John's telling us something about Nicodemus. You know this for sure. There is no doubt about this. And I don't know if you remember when I read this, but all you got to do is kind of go to that end section, verse 19, when John will say something like this, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness. And John will make a big deal about light and dark. So dark for John is a symbol of people who are outside the faith, 
looking in. And so John says, and Nicodemus came to see Jesus in the dark. Now, it actually means the same thing today, honestly. If you came to me after the service and you said something like, hey, so I hear NASA, NASA is going to the moon again. What's up with that? I would say to you, I have no idea. I'm in the dark. And that's what we mean when we say I'm in the dark. We mean I'm on the outside looking in. I don't know. And that's what it means here. When it comes to what God is up to in the world, Nicodemus is in the dark. But he is stepping towards the light because he comes to Jesus. And in this conversation, he will ask Jesus three questions. And three times, if you are looking in your Bible, three times, Jesus will begin answering Nicodemus. Depending on the translation you're looking at, Jesus will answer Nicodemus three times by saying the same thing. He says, this is very important. Three times he says that. So let's look very quickly at these questions and the answers. The first one, it's I think in verse 2 in your Bibles. Now, probably in most of your translations, there's no question mark because it doesn't read like a question, but it is. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, uh, you know, obviously Nicodemus has been paying attention and he says, Jesus, clearly, clearly God has sent you. There's no doubt. The, the things that you have been doing, the things you've been saying are proof that God is doing something through you. I just don't know what it is. That's the question. Nicodemus is saying, I am in the dark when it comes to what God is up to through you. I don't understand. Now, Jesus' answer, and this is really important. This is what he says. Depending on your translation, he will say to Nicodemus, this is really important. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, pause for a quick second. I wish, I know that you don't, but, but I wish we had a ton of time um, like the next couple hours to unpack what is the kingdom of God. Actually, are you going anywhere else? What um, no, I, won't, I promise. I, I wish we had time to unpack. Some of you are looking panic. We, I promise. I wish we had time to unpack. Uh, we don't. Uh, the kingdom of God is the single most important subject that Jesus will ever talk about. He talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else by far, over and over and over. The kingdom of God is his subject. So for Jesus, there is nothing as important as the kingdom of God. But I don't have the time to unpack it. So the very best that we can do is simply understand that the kingdom of God is about living life with God. That's what it's about. Living life with God now, in this lifetime, and then forever. Now, my guess is that you wouldn't be here or you wouldn't be watching live if you didn't at least have some interest in living life with God. So understand that that's what Jesus is talking about, living life with God. And Jesus says to get there, to life with God, you have to be born again. Now, again, if you happen to have your Bible open and if you're looking or maybe you're looking at your phone or whatever, just a really, really important comment. Depending on, on your Bible, when, when 
Jesus said you have to be born again. Some of your Bibles will say something different uh, because in the ancient language that John is writing in, ancient Greek, that word in Greek, it has a double meaning. It can mean again as in a second time, but it can also mean, or I should say it does mean from above or from God. Now, our problem is, and we run into this problem all the time when we're translating the Bible from English to Greek, our problem is you and I, we don't have a word that means both. We don't have a word that means again as well as from, from above. So we have to pick and choose. We have to decide which one are we going to use. Some of your Bibles that you're looking at, it will say the word again. And some of the Bibles you're looking at here at home, it will say from above. The problem is we have to make a choice. But in Greek, it means both at the same time. It's not one or the other. It means both. And we don't have a word like that. And so Jesus is saying, look, you are going to have to start over. That's what the again part means. And then he's also saying, but God is going to have to do this. That's what the from above part means. And it means both. You have to start over, but you can't start over on your own. God is going to have to do this. That's what it means. To live life with God, you have to start over, but only God can do that. Now, let me go on a little detour. I promise you we're going to come right back here. We'll get here, but it'll sound like I'm getting off track for a couple minutes. There is this remarkable study that just came out of, well, not just, came out of UCLA a couple years ago. It's been repeated, it's been verified. Uh, researchers at UCLA wanted to know how do we change? How does a human being change? How does a human being make his or her life better? So here's what they did in part. They took a bunch of UCLA students, I think it was 450 of them the first time around, and of course, these students uh, did not know what was being tested. Uh, they were actually told that they're doing a little bit of test on memory. So they took these UCLA students, they divided them into two groups, and they asked one group of students uh, to sit down and to try really, really hard to remember the name of 10 books that they were assigned to read in high school. Then they took the other group of students and they said, try really, really hard to remember the Ten Commandments. And it was just a way of saying, we're going to test your memory. What they were really testing was the impact of thought on behavior. So after they gave them this test, then the researchers kind of followed these students for a while. They watched the behavior of these two groups of students. And here's where it gets really interesting. The first group of students who were asked to remember or to recall a name of 10 books that they were assigned in high school, as they, their behavior was watched, it was no different than any other college student. They engaged in the classroom in the typical kinds of cheating behavior that goes on in every college classroom. Uh, the cheating on the test, the handing in, blah, 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 blah. They, these students look like everybody else. Then they went to the second group, looked at their behavior, the group that was asked to call to mind the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, not a single one of them was able to remember all ten. But regardless, what was stunning was the simple act of trying to remember the Ten Commandments, paying attention to the Ten Commandments, 
caused these students to want to live nobler lives subconsciously. They didn't even know it. But what the researchers observed, not Christian at all, guys from UCLA, what they observed is that these students, there was no cheating, there was no disrespect, there was no lying for the, the length of time that they are trying to call to mind the Ten Commandments. And later when these students were interviewed and they were asked about their behavior and why it changed, they had no way of explaining what was going on in their subconscious. But what they were able to say is, you know, just the fact that I was thinking about the Ten Commandments, it made me want to live a nobler life. And what the researchers are concluding is that we human beings, we are wired for decency and goodness and integrity. And just just the process of thinking about a higher purpose, a higher calling, has human beings saying, that's what I want. The problem for us is it doesn't last. It doesn't last. So I believe this about human beings. I believe this about you and me and Alice Cooper. We are not made for mucking around in the dark. We are not made for mucking around in the dark side of life. That's why when we talk about this stuff, that's why we have labeled that certain part of the web the dark web, where people have to go in the dark. It's why we talk about the skeletons in our closets, where we close the door and let them in the dark. It's why we do stuff in secret. It's why we don't come home and tell our parents everything we did on our dates or everything we were doing with our friends. Honestly, sin has an appeal because it looks thrilling until we're in it. I spent way too much time in that office listening to people saying, if I could only do that day again, I would make a different choice. But here's our problem. On our own, we cannot undo our past and we cannot start over Only God can do this. And so Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again from God. You want to live life with God? Only God makes it possible. There is no other way. And that's where Jesus starts with Nicodemus. God makes this possible, Nicodemus, and no one else. That leads to the second question from Nicodemus in verse 4. And I assure you that when Nicodemus asked this question, he asked it with a cynical tone. And he said to Jesus, what, born again? You expect an old man to crawl back inside his mom and come out a second time? And every single mom in the universe is going, ain't no way in the universe that's, ha- that's happening. This ain't Groundhog Day for mom, which... Um, <laughs> By the way, you have to have watched a certain Bill Murray movie to understand that reference. Anyway, 
In a very cynical tone, Nicodemus is asking, what can an old man change? Do you really think it's possible, Jesus, for this old man to start fresh? Is change possible? And by the way, that's the question we're dealing with in this series right now. Can a human being change? Can we ever live the lives we want to live? Anyway, Jesus asks, and again, he starts with that phrase. If you're looking, he starts with that phrase, Nicodemus, this is important. Now, in my version, my version translates it to the phrase, I assure you. But in the language of the Bible, how many of you are old enough to remember, we would memorize verses with Jesus saying, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly. That's what's there three times. Three times Jesus says, verily, verily, truly, truly, or Nicodemus is really important. And then Jesus launches into that very bizarre section about being born of water and being born of the Spirit. Now again, for the sake of time, I don't have time to unpack it, so let me cut to the chase. There's a really significant prophecy from a couple hundred years before Jesus. It's on the screen, so write it down. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, and go home and read it. Not now, but go home and read it. Or read it when you have some chance. This is an ancient prophecy from Ezekiel. It's about a time when Ezekiel is looking into the distant future, the time when the Messiah of God would arrive. And that passage has to do with the fact that when the Messiah arrives, he will clean with water and he will give people the opportunity to be born again by the Spirit of God. In other words, what Ezekiel was saying is, Men and women, boys and girls, God is going to give human beings the chance that we are all longing for, for a fresh start and a new life with God. But Ezekiel says it is only possible because God makes it possible. He will clean us up. That's what the whole water thing means. He will give us new life. That's what the whole born of the spirit thing means. And Ezekiel and Jesus are both saying, you cannot do this on your own. God and God alone makes this possible. But with God, it really is possible. You know, again, there's some just incredible research that has come out of Beijing, of all places. I have, I've heard several people call this the most significant research in the last decade. So some researchers were wondering, and this won't sound remarkable at first, but where it ends up is it's incredible. Some researchers are wondering, um, what part of our brains do we use when we evaluate the behavior of people? Now, just so you know, to evaluate the behavior of a person, this is what we all do when, for example, you're sitting in the left turn lane, um, your car number four, and you know that this left turn arrow is going to loss it's going to last like 12 seconds and you are sitting there thinking oh man please and the arrow turns green and the first car in line doesn't move <laughs> and you evaluate that person's behavior what the heck is wrong with that idiot okay that's what we are doing when we evaluate the behavior of somebody the researchers were wondering 
What part of our brains do we use when we evaluate the behavior of somebody? And here's, what's fa- here's what they found. This is really amazing. They actually discover that human beings use two parts of our brain to evaluate behavior. Now stick with this. One part of our brain we use to evaluate the behavior of ourselves but we use an entirely different part of our brain to evaluate the behavior of others. Which is what allows us to go ballistic when somebody else does it. But to understand completely when we do it ourselves, right? All human beings do this. We use two parts of our brain to evaluate the behavior of others, except... for one group of people. Do you know who they are? This is incredible. Christians, devout followers of Jesus Christ, researchers in Beijing found, it turns out that we who follow Jesus Christ, we always use one part of our brain to evaluate the behavior of others and ourselves. And researchers couldn't unpuzzle this until they began to conclude that Christians, when it comes to how they evaluate themselves, they use another reference point. Jesus. We don't ask, how do I evaluate myself? We ask, what does Jesus think of me? Not, What do I think of me? What does Jesus think of me? This is verifiable scientific proof that real change is possible. And it happens. Human brains get rewired when we follow Jesus. It happens. And it's real. Now, how does God do this? Well, honestly, even Jesus says, Nicodemus, it's a mystery. If you look at verse 8, Jesus does that very cryptic thing where he says, you know, Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wants, so we never quite understand where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with the Spirit. Now, I think, some of you will know this, that in the language of the Bible, the word for wind and spirit is always exactly the same. And Jesus is saying, and Nicodemus, how it happens, this is the business of the Spirit of God, and we will never quite be able to wrap our brains around it. But that it happens is beyond doubt. It happened to Alice Cooper. It happened to Brian Welch. It happened to me, and it's happened to many of you. I am not who I was. Thank God. Thank God. Which leads to question number three for Nicodemus, verse nine. It's a very simple one-word question. Nicodemus says, how? How? And that's a good question, isn't it? How can God change me? Now, the how is a bit complicated. In fact, we will spend the next several weeks talking about the how. But you have to know that step one of the how, step one of the how, 
is probably the simplest but the hardest thing that you will ever do. Jesus makes himself the issue. And he goes to a very, very old, old story in the pages of our Bible. It is a bizarre story in Numbers chapter 21. You do not have to understand this story to understand the point that Jesus is making. In Numbers 21, there's an old story where the Israelites, they've they've been freed from slavery. They're wandering around the wilderness and suddenly they are beginning to be bitten and they are dying from poisonous snake bites and they need to be saved. And Moses, under the direction of God, Moses builds this bronze something And he puts it on a wooden pole so that it is high up in the middle of the camp where everyone has a chance to see it. And Moses simply says, if you are bitten and dying and you need to be saved, look here. And although I don't understand that story at all, Jesus simply used the story this way. He said it, it's in those verses, and then Jesus says, and so the Son of Man Me, Jesus is saying, I too will be lifted up on a wooden post. And even if you don't understand the story from Numbers, we know what Jesus is talking about. Three years before it happened, Jesus is saying, there will be a cross and I will be on it. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, the how is answered this way. You have to trust. You have to believe that it's me on the cross through which God changes you. Nicodemus, it starts with trust. Step one is you must believe me. Now, belief is a really tricky thing, but here's the deal. We just watched Aladdin on Friday night out in the yard, the live-action version of Aladdin. And some people who know me, who've been around since, you know, another church, when I used to talk about Aladdin, some of you know that Aladdin is my all-time favorite Disney movie because of one scene. And on Friday night, when that scene came up, Kathy Walk, who was sitting right in front of me and who has heard the story, turned around and she goes, (laughs) and she knew the scene. The scene is when Aladdin, disguised as a prince, is inviting Jasmine to step off the balcony onto a magic carpet. It's a wonderful scene. And there's a lot going on with that in the movie, but I love it because Aladdin is standing on the carpet and he holds out his hand to Jasmine. I get emotional (laughs) just because, anyway, he holds out his hand to Jasmine and he says to her, do you trust me? And she says, what? Do you trust me? And at that moment, because of a lot going on, she knows who this really is. She takes his hand, steps off the balcony, and goes on a magic carpet ride that will change her life forever. 
That's what it means to believe Jesus. It's not just like, well, do you mean, I mean, do you believe that the sky is blue? Of course I do. This is Jesus saying, do you trust me? Is Jesus holding out his hand and he is asking you to step into him? Do you trust me? When we believe, we are choosing to trust Jesus with our lives today and tomorrow and forever. And if you want to change, that is your only hope for change. The Christian life is simply impossible without Christ. He and he alone makes change possible. And it starts when a simple human being looks at Jesus who is saying, do you trust me? And you say, yes, yes. You know, we just got, there's a, I just got in the mail, I just got a newsletter from Samaritan's Purse, this newsletter, Donna showed me this. And honestly, this is a news, this simple newsletter gave me hope during COVID. Here's a story, Samaritan's Purse, that's the front page, that's what you're looking at. Samaritan's Purse is this remarkable organization. One of the things they do is they find children all around the world that need open heart surgery but cannot afford it. And they will fly them in groups to the United States for the surgery with their moms or their dads or their immediate family. And then uh, Samaritan's Purse will perform the surgery, no cost to the families, and then they will put the family up for four to six weeks for the recovery. So back in February, they flew, uh, I think it was about a dozen families from Mongolia. All of those kids needed open heart surgery to survive. They flew them here, they did the surgeries, They flew them here along with their moms, and then COVID hit. And so all of these families, suddenly after four weeks, they were not able to go home. They were stuck here because of COVID. So suddenly Samaritan's Purse, after four to six weeks, are saying, how are we going to you know, take care of these families until they go home? So the only option they had was to take these Chinese families and put them with host families, all of them host families who are supporters of Samaritan Purse, Samaritan's Purse, of course, Almost all of them are followers of Jesus. And in the months of waiting to go home, one after the other, these moms from Mongolia are seeing Christians and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they started asking questions about the Bible, about Jesus, about God. And four of those moms and their children they heard that there is a Savior who is holding out his hand and saying, do you trust me? And they said yes. And there's a picture of one of them being baptized who has said, my son has a new heart and so do I. And they will soon be going home. And one mom said, I was happy when I learned we would be returning home, but also a little bit sad. Sad because I met some very nice people here in America. And I met Jesus. Well, if God can take a virus and forever change the lives of a half a dozen people of Mongolia, how about you? 
if there ever was a moment that you knew that Jesus is holding out his hand to you and saying, do you trust me? This is that moment. What will you do? Let's pray, and I want to pray for you, especially those of you who are here or who are watching, who are saying, yeah, yes, I do. God, I want to pray on behalf of those people who know that at this moment, you are holding out your hand and saying to human beings, do you trust me? God, I know that there are people who in their minds and in their hearts are reaching out their hands to you and saying, yes, yes, I do. God, I pray that for each of them, they would understand that this is a moment that will redirect their lives forever. I pray, God, that you will help them to understand that they are putting their hands in the hands of Jesus for this life, for tomorrow, and for forever. God, I pray that through your spirit, you'll give them clarity. I pray that through your spirit, you will begin what you promised to do, giving us as human beings a chance to start over, to live a new Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.